Good evening. Uh, the studying tonight will be from 1 Kings 3, 4 through 15. I will be reading 1 Kings 3, 4 through 9. If you would like to follow along with me again, it's 1 Kings 3, 4 through 9. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and he and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Thank you. Well, I'm certainly happy to be with you this evening, and I'm very grateful for your presence tonight, and we're always uh, happy to be together. It's a joy to be with you. I always look forward to this privilege, this privilege to serve, this privilege to speak about the Word of God and to enter into this worship. And I'm very grateful for the songs that uh, have been led tonight, Sweet Hour Prayer. What a beautiful song that is. What a wonderful hymn. Kind of is reminiscent of those days back when I was a child, and I remember those old hymns that were sung, but they're still good hymns, and they express wonderful truths from the pages of the Bible. We're involved in our Sunday night seminar, and we are looking at the subject of prayer. And we want to study a very important prayer tonight from the pages of the Old Testament, and that is the prayer of Solomon, which has been read for you, and thank you for the reading. It comes in 1 Kings chapter 3. Now, I've prepared a handout for you. If you don't have one, please raise your hand, and there are deacons throughout the auditorium here that will be glad to get a copy of that for you. And I hope that the uh, outline will be helpful as we follow along and work together from the pages of the Bible. There's always more information in the outline than we're ever able to include in the presentation, but at the same time you can take the outlines at home and take them home and study them and take notes and that kind of thing that'll help you even more. And as we go through the discussion, I encourage you to take notes and follow along from the text, the biblical text, and study and read just along, right along with me and the lesson will be all the more meaningful. We studied last uh, Sunday night about prayer, the privilege of prayer. We're looking at Matthew chapter 7. And again, that Matthew 7 is such a consequential passage, it comes up again tonight. We'll make reference to it, though we'll not spend as much time on it as we had last uh, Sunday night. We're looking at Solomon's prayer. And you're probably very familiar with this story from 1 Kings chapter 3. However, let me just preface our remarks a little bit by helping us see just exactly where we're going to go uh, with this prayer of Solomon. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the gracious offer that God had given to Solomon. It was a very gracious offer, and that's part of the story tonight when we read in the earlier portion of the chapter. And then I'm going to talk about the prayer itself, Solomon's prayer, this particular matter 
of God's offer came by means of a dream. And there, in turn, we're going to see how God answered that prayer. And he answered it in a unique way, and I want to talk a little bit about that and make some proper application for ourselves. And then Solomon's gratitude. That's a point that I think we should make in studying this text of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 3. And I've outlined each point for you in the handout. You know just exactly what we're saying and where we're going. And that way you'll be able to stay with us when we're discussing this important matter. Solomon didn't always do the wise thing, did he? Uh, there are some things about the life of Solomon that are, that are not the best. Uh, for example, Moses, by inspiration, wrote back in Deuteronomy chapter 17 that, he, that the uh, king was not to marry foreign wives because it just might take his heart away from God. And that's exactly what Solomon did in 1 Kings chapter 11. So there are some things about Solomon's life that are not exemplary, that we would not want to emulate. But there are some things that we would want to emulate. And this idea of his prayer <coughs> and prayer life tonight is something that we certainly want to consider. And so there's a wonderful lesson in all of this, and I'll try to pick those lessons out very plainly for you as we go through the text itself. These are the points, and here's the first one. God's gracious offer, the offer itself. Now, in the midst of a dream, God told him, said, I'll give you whatever you ask. And the king went to Gibeon, verse 4, to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask what I shall give you. Uh, go ahead and ask. What a wonderful offer God is making in that regard. He goes to Gibeon. Now, the, as I said, there were some things about Solomon that are not very good. For example, they were still sacrificing at the high places uh, at which they should not have been. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the house for the name of the Lord. Verse 2, the high places were the pagan places and that kind of thing. And so they had not completely gotten rid of those particular matters like they should have. In this regard, he is doing some things that are really not in keeping with the Word of God. But God is very gracious in this offer to him. Ask whatever you will. And it reminds us, and I think I'll just go ahead and make reference to it now, Matthew chapter 7. And you and I spent some special time last Sunday night talking about Matthew 7, and so I won't go into any detail about it tonight, but I would like to read it again because it is such an important passage that comes up in this discussion. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. You see that I'm reminded of this passage. Because God has said, well, now you ask, and it will be given to you. What will you ask for? And God is telling us the same thing. Ask, and it will be given. You seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And you and I remember about the thrust of those verbs, how he says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Just keep on asking and keep on praying. That's the point. God is telling us to do the same thing. He says, now ask, and I will be gracious and give to you. But I'm reminded of James chapter 1, verse 5. Even though this was a special situation between Solomon and God, and in a miraculous type of way, God answered that prayer. Still, God has told us to do the same thing, ask. And he tells us to ask for wisdom in particular. In verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And that's certainly what we need, isn't it? We need the understanding to be able to properly analyze, to properly evaluate the situation and use the right passage in the right way, to use the right kind of language as best we possibly can. And he says in the passage, now you ask for wisdom, and God will give it to you. God's gracious about his offer for wisdom. And if you pray for wisdom, God will not reproach you. He'll not scold you for asking for wisdom. Now, the knowledge, of course, comes with a study of the Word of God. But the wisdom we pray for. And then I thought of this passage. I don't know that I listed it for you, but it's one we ought to consider. First John chapter 3 and the verse, verse 22. And you may want to write this particular passage down in your notes. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of God and love one another. Just as he has commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he is a, abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And so it tells us about our responsibility before God to live the right kind of life for God and to live the right kind of life in keeping with his word. The first thing I see in this passage about Solomon is the offer. God offers to give him whatever he asks. And you might think, what a unique offer. What a gracious offer. And it is a gracious offer. But yet God has given us a gracious offer. In prayer, he said, if you will pray, pray for wisdom. Ask, seek, and knock, and it will be given. Now, all of this, of course, uh, presupposes uh, the scripturality of the prayer. And in James chapter 4, we can pray amiss. And I'll study that particular passage with you on another, another occasion. But the Bible's making very clear that we can seek and we can ask and we can knock and we should. And if praying in accordance with His divine will, God will answer in His divine way. And that we studied last week, didn't we? How God answers prayer in different ways. Well, this, I think, is the beginning point of our lesson tonight, the gracious offer which we see in verse 4 and verse 5. Ask what I shall give you. You have a new king. And this king is giving a gracious, has been given a gracious offer by God. And he takes advantage of it in a wonderful way. And then there is the second point that I made mention of tonight. And that is Solomon's prayer itself. It begins in about verse 6. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David. Notice his attitude in this particular matter, and that's the point that I made mention of on the slide. He has a particular attitude expressed in verse 6, and that attitude is what? He is filled with gratefulness, gratitude. Notice as he mentions it. You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and given him a son to sit on his throne. And this point goes on down through verse 9. You know, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Though I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered, are counted for counsel, verse 8. He continues on, verse 9. Watch his attitude there. 
Well, one attitude that I see expressed in the text is a very gracious, grateful attitude. God, you bless my father, and you have blessed me. Is there a lesson in that for us today? Indeed, there is. When we come before God in prayer, it should be a prayer of gratefulness, gratitude, and thanksgiving. Look at all that you've done. Why, you blessed my father, David. He walked in all of his, your ways, and you blessed him. You preserved a son for him. Now I'm reigning on the throne of Israel, and I'm grateful for that. But there's also an element of humility. He says, I'm but a child. He says, I'm very grateful for what you've done to our family, very grateful for what you've done to me and to my father, but I'm a child. And yet he, he recognizes there's a great responsibility here. Your people are without number. His attitude in prayer. Sometimes I think the attitude expressed in prayer may not be the best. And prayers that I've heard or prayers that I've uttered may not be the best kind of attitude that I should have. But one attitude that should always be expressed in every prayer, thankfulness to God. Without God, we wouldn't have anything. Without God, we wouldn't be anything. Without God, we're not going anywhere. Uh, without God, he's blessed us on every side, and we need to recognize that. And laced through every prayer should be thanksgiving. An attitude whereby I'm grateful for what you've done, for all the many wonderful things. And humility. He says, I'm just a child. Verse 7, and now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, though I am but a little child and do not know how to go out or to come in. Uh, this man's making a proper evaluation of himself. I don't understand how to do these matters. And he senses, has a keen sense of responsibility that God has given him in this regard. And he's praying about that particular matter. But I tell you, I see something else in this prayer. I think it's reflected in verse 11. God said to him, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for, asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. It's an unselfish prayer. Help me do my job properly. He is very gracious. He is very humble in his prayer, and he's very unselfish in his prayer. And, uh, and that's much of the point that we remember from the prayer of Solomon from the pages of 1 Kings chapter 3. He prayed for wisdom. Give me an understanding heart so that I could uh, rule and judge properly among your people. He's not asking for some self-boastful attitude, but he's acting from a standpoint of, let me help other people properly so it'll be pleasing in your sight. I think when we study carefully, we look at the attitude Solomon has in this prayer. And he's praying to God, help me with these things, Heavenly Father. Is there a lesson in that for us tonight? I believe that there is. We need to go before God with this kind of attitude. The petition is made, and uh, it is a very unselfish petition. It is praying properly to God before others. And that's the point, I think, that I wanted to illustrate mainly from this passage, is that we need to pray properly. We need to have an attitude of gratitude and, and unselfishness. How many times have we prayed for ourselves? But the Bible makes very clear we shouldn't be praying a selfish kind of prayer that immediately makes me think of James chapter 4, and I think I'll take just a brief moment, turn to James 4 and read that passage because it speaks directly to that point. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. They were asking in a selfish way. Now, there's a lot more to this passage than what might first meet the eye, and and there's much more that needs to be expressed and studied. But the point comes to mind because of the fact that you're praying for the wrong reason. They were praying, James says, chapter 4, for selfish desire for themselves. And I just wonder, you know, when we pray, Lord, please give me life. Please give me health. If God were to answer, I know he's not going to do it in that way, but if God were to answer, why would I give that to you? Is it that you just want more life because it's a precious gift and that's what you want? Or why should I give you life? Is it a selfish prayer that you're asking for health and life? Or Heavenly Father, help me with this, that, and that. Is it a selfish reason that we pray? I think there's some consideration that needs to be made with regard to the motive behind the prayer. And the motive behind Solomon's prayer is one of great humility, gratitude, thankful for what God has done for him and his family, and in turn, a keen sense of responsibility, and there in turn, a very unselfish prayer, concerned about other people more than he's concerned about himself. And I think we really need to consider that factor. There are some things about Solomon's life I cannot endorse. I cannot Uh, set before you as an example. But there are some things that are, and this certainly is one of those things, the attitude that he has in the prayer. It helps me pray properly. Third point that I want to talk to you about a little bit tonight is that the Lord answered his prayer. And it's amazing what God did with regard to the answer of that prayer. And I'll just summarize the text in this portion of it in 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, he says, well, you've answered, you've asked for a wise thing. You've asked for wisdom and an understanding heart. You did not ask for length of life, great riches, or the life of your enemies on the field of battle. But you've asked for an understanding heart and judging the people properly. And because you prayed such and you've asked for such, I'm going to give you the other also. And God answered his prayer. It reminds one of Ephesians 3 and 20. And I keep thinking about that. I made mention of that last Sunday night. And that Ephesians 3.20 still comes up in my mind. God can do so much more than what we ask or what we think. And I think so much of the passage, I believe I'll just read it uh, so that we'll get the full sense of the verse. And I ask you to copy the passage down. I think I've included it in the notes for you. And there Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, Well, that's the verse that I have in mind. God is able to do so much more. And God gave him much more than he asked for. Uh, He asked for a wise, understanding heart. But what did God do? God gave him that, but then he also gave him the other also. Because you did not ask for these things, then I'm going to give it to you as well. Long life, the lives of your enemies, and great riches, and of course God did that. The unique thing about this chapter is a demonstration is given. An example is given as to how God answered his prayer. And you see in about verse 16 the situation that arose. Now there are two women here that come before the throne of Solomon for judgment. And no doubt in the court of the king there may have been, I don't know, any number of uh, people there 
that were witnessing this particular matter, and both of these women had children. Now, it's interesting to me as I read this how it is set up. If you go back and read carefully the situation, you see that the two women were alone. You see there's no third-party witness that could be brought in. If we were speaking in more modern terms, this is a child custody suit. And the plaintiff is saying, that's my child, I want my child back. The defendant is saying, no, it's my child, it needs to stay with me. That was the issue. The plaintiff is alleging and asserting that that child belongs to me. You have two women. They're described as prostitutes here in verse 16. I, that, that word that is used there, uh, we need to be a little careful about that. It's not that they were out for hire. Uh, but at the same time, they were filled with shame, and thus they were alone. There was no third party to tell us what the situation is like. There's no witness to bring to call in here. All we have are the words of the of the two disputants, the plaintiff and the defendant. The plaintiff said, "I had a child," and then the defendant over there, she had a child. She rolled over and smothered her child in the middle of the night, and then so when she found out that she'd killed her child, she took my child. For herself and gave me her dead child. When I woke up the next morning, I looked and I saw this is not my child. This child is dead, but it's not my child. She's got my child, and I want my child back. It's a child custody suit, straight out of a textbook. And there in turn, the defendant is saying, That child belongs to me, it's mine. And, and this other one said, No, it's mine, it's my child. And back and forth and back and forth. And so finally, the king stops this. And he summarizes the issue in verse 23. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. Every time I read that, it kind of makes me shudder just a little bit. Bring a sword. (laughs) And so a soldier standing next to him, a sword is brought forward. He says, divide the child in half. Give half child to one mother, half child to another mother. We got no witness to verify the stories. There's no evidence to bring in here to determine which is right and which is wrong. We're just going to do it this way. Divide the child in half. And the true mother, because of the milk of human kindness, springs forward and says, no, spare the child and give it to this woman. I am willing to forego my rights. I'm willing to forego my child so that the child could live rather than lose my child to this decision. And the other woman said, no, go ahead and divide the child. Now, why would a woman do that? Why would they be in such dispute? I think jealousy dries up the milk of human kindness. And here, the woman who's jealous over this other woman and her child, she says, go ahead and divide the child. And Solomon says, give it to this first lady here. She's the real mother. And the people are awed at the wisdom of Solomon. And so there, I think there's a special point there to be made in verse 26. Then the woman whose son was alive and said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her son. And the text in the middle of that is trying to say, Deep down inside her, she's moved. She's yearning for her son. I don't know if yearn is a strong enough word, but she's moved deep down inside of her to forego her rights and say, she can have the child. Just let the child live. 
I don't want the child to be divided in two. And you know Solomon's very wise statement. By verse 28, And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. The point for consideration is, look how God answered that prayer. When this man asked for an understanding heart, he said, Lord, I'm just a child. I don't know the right from the wrong. I don't know the coming in and the going out. This is such a great responsibility. How am I going to handle these particular matters? Give me an understanding heart so I can know how to adjudicate the matters properly with justice. And that's what God always wanted the king to do. Be honest and fair and equitable and lead and rule in accordance with God's divine law. Now he gives him this wonderful gift of wisdom. And Solomon's known for the great wisdom that he has. You see, God can give us far more than we ever realize. He can answer our prayers in his wonderful way and do far much more than we can ever remember. There's a lesson to be remembered in all this for you and me when it comes to the matter of prayer. Now I want to talk a little bit about Solomon's gratitude tonight. With regard to the answer of the prayer, I'm going to go back to the earlier portion of the chapter. Look in this particular instance, it occurs for us in about verse 15, a beautiful verse. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. You see how his attitude is? He expresses worship. His attitude is one of great worship before God because God has answered him in such a wonderful way. And he feels the need to praise God. He's filled with adoration for God. And he's praising God by the sacrifices that he's offering here in the pages of the old law. He came to Jerusalem, stood for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. That's a different place. Before he's at Gibeah, now he goes to Jerusalem. And he offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast. Not only concerned about himself, he's also concerned about others. His attitude was to make others happy with regard to what God had done to bless him as king of Israel. In doing so, we see something of the graciousness of God. Tonight, I've studied a little bit about Solomon's prayer. But I want to talk a little bit about some of the lessons that you and I should take away from this very important lesson. And that way, our prayers become more meaningful, more scriptural, and more from the heart. One of the things that I see here is the humility that an individual has before God. And God has always been desirous of an humble heart. And I have a few passages of Scripture I'd like to share with you. One comes from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 57. Notice verse 15. There in that particular passage, the Bible says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And before I make comment on that, I'd like to turn another to another great passage in Isaiah. It's found in Isaiah chapter 66 in the verse of verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you have built for me, and what is the place of my rest? And he's talking about the matter in verse 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. Watch it. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles 
at my word. That's what God is looking at when it comes to the matter of our prayers. He's looking for the individual who's filled with humility. God has always looked for the humble heart. He wants the individual to recognize that he is God and that we are his creation. I can't come to God in a demanding type of way, demanding this or demanding that of God, or having a heart filled with pride. That's not going to be pleasing in God's sight. He, should re- he will remember the humble, Psalm 34 and verse 18. And he gives grace to the humble, Proverbs 3 and verse 4. When we come before God, we ought to have the attitude of a Solomon who's gracious and thankful and meek and humble before God, offering his petition before God. I'd like to spend just a brief moment talking about a point we already know, but it needs to be reinforced. And that point that I'd like to talk a little bit about tonight is that God does answer prayer. He answers prayer, doesn't he? And I know that the Bible is filled with opportunities, filled with passages which bespeak that particular point. I always think on this type of matter about Hezekiah. Hezekiah turned to the Lord, and the Lord answered his prayer and extended his life 15 years. God always answers the prayers of his children. Now, you and I know that he'll answer it in different ways. Sometimes he'll say yes, sometimes he'll say no. You know, Jonah, when he was in the confines of the great fish, he offered a great prayer there in Jonah chapter 2, and God said yes to that prayer. And he vomited Jonah out of the bowels of that fish on dry land. And then Jonah did what he's supposed to have done the first time. He went to the terrible place called Nineveh and preached to them, and they repented from the king down to the lowest servant, in sackcloth and ashes. Sometimes God will say yes to the prayer. Sometimes God will say no to the prayer. And we illustrated that by looking at the life of Paul last Sunday night in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. No, I'm not going to remove the thorn in the flesh. My grace is sufficient for thee. Sometimes God will say wait a while. And if you study the book of Nehemiah, they prayed to God, but yet it came about, the blessing came about after uh, a period, an extended period of time. Sometimes he gives us something different from what we've asked. Sometimes he gives us far more than what we've asked. God will answer the prayers of his children as we ask and we seek and we knock. We need to be known as a people of prayer. I'd like to speak just for a minute about the fact that God can do far more than what we've ever dreamed of or ever imagined. And I've alluded to that point already out of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. You know, I remember an individual telling me one time, and it really stuck with me, and I thought about it in my own life, and so I make uh, an illustration out of it from his life, not mine, though I relate to it. He said, you know, if I, as a very young man, had been praying, Lord, bless me, Lord, give me this, Lord, give me that, I would never have imagined that the Lord would give me as much as he has given me. And this is a young fellow. I'm listening very carefully what he's trying to say. And he's saying, even if I had asked for more and more and more, I wouldn't have asked for as much as what God's already given. God has the ability to give us far more than we ask, far more than we think. And as I think about that later in life, I have to say amen to that. Because if I had been a kind of person who were praying a selfish kind of prayer and were asked, Lord, give me this, Lord, give me that, 
I wouldn't have asked for as much as the Lord has given me. He's blessed me in so many wonderful ways. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. And I'm reminded of that when I look at the life of Solomon. Solomon said, Lord, just give me an understanding heart so that I can be a proper judge of people and do the right thing. Your heart goes out to a man who wants to be the judge or is the judge of God's people. And he says, Lord, give me an understanding heart so I can do this right. I want to do it right. And God says, I'm going to give you that heart. And I'm going to give you so much more. And he did. As I've said in a prior comment or two, he didn't always do the right thing, did he? This man's heart was turned away from God because of the many wives that he'd married, foreign relations and treaties with other countries. Took his heart away, pulled his heart away from God. Thus in turn, he wasn't the faithful king that he should have been. And I don't believe we'd count him as a faithful king. You don't see him in the honor roll of the faithful, Hebrews chapter 11. There in turn, Solomon died as an unfaithful king because his heart was pulled away and he became more enamored with the gods of this world than the God of heaven and earth. But this one thing I can emulate and recommend to you, that we love God, filled with gratitude and thankfulness, let us humbly come before him in prayer realizing that God is going to answer our prayers and is able to do far more in blessing us than we can imagine. A lesson on the prayer of Solomon. Now, the privilege of prayer resides with a Christian. The privilege of prayer resides with those who have named the name of Christ and been obedient to the gospel of Christ, who have repented of sin and confessed their faith and been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. And what a wonderful blessing. There's so much more that needs to be studied, but this will be sufficient tonight for us to understand how important prayer is and the kind of prayers we should be offering. I appreciate the prayers of these good brethren. I listen very carefully. When they stand before us and pray, I'm very grateful for the things that they say. And I try to listen and focus and train my thoughts. But I have to admit, sometimes, because of special needs in my life, I kind of tune that prayer leader out, and I'm offering my own prayer. And I'm saying to God, Heavenly Father, you know my needs and you know my heart. Bless us, Heavenly Father, in our work together. Whatever the sentiment might be expressed at the time, there are times when our prayers are very focused and very personal and that kind of thing. Though I appreciate very much the sentiments that are expressed from this pulpit and these men that pray before us, and I'm very grateful for it. Let us always, with humility and thankfulness, realizing God hears us and answers our prayers, and can do so much more than what we realize, let us pray to him out of obedient faith. But before we do that, let us become children of God in the biblical New Testament way. And I urge you to do that tonight. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.